Hey everybody, my name is Kerwin Ray and I'm your host for Unstoppable. And in this week's episode, we sit down with the gorgeous, the beautiful founder of Wink Modeling Agency and influencer and talent agency, The Right Fit, Miss Taryn Williams. This chick is wicked smart. And if you want to get the lowdown on influencer marketing, social media marketing, then this podcast will change the game. Listen up, check her out. It's one you're not going to want to miss. Well, ladies and gentlemen, it is my great honor and pleasure to welcome Taryn Williams. Thank you. Great Thank to you. be here. Great for having you in. Now, Taryn isn't a name you hear very often. <laughs> I think it's actually a made-up name, I'm going to be honest. I'm, fair, really? I'm fairly sure my parents just combined, you know, Tara and Karen and went, oh, it's a great oh, name. So. Tara, Karen, we'll call it Taryn. <laughs> yeah. Do you they know what it means? No, I have no idea. They picked it out of a newspaper. No. Yes. Yeah. I wish what? I could tell you it's something exotic and Turkish or something. Well, that's no. kind of a cool story. Yeah. What was the article? No idea. Hopefully something good, not a serial killer or something. You know what? So. It could have been worse. Uh, my name, Kerwin... Um, my mum told me ever since I was born that she found this baby book and it said Kerwin meant loving friend. And so my whole life I grew up thinking that my <laughs> name meant loving friend. And every time someone asked me, I'd make this great fucking story. Oh, my main name's Lane. My name means loving friend. They go, oh my God, that's so sweet. It's like, yeah. And then along comes Google. Oh, but Ben, what does it actually mean? Well, there's two meanings. <laughs> uh, which kind of gives way to a nickname. The first meaning I discovered was a uh, little black one. Okay. Yeah. And the yeah. second meaning was a swamp thing. <laughs> So, little black swamp thing. Wow. Yeah. Okay. Your parents really the loved closest, you. Yeah. Like, I'm surprised she didn't call me fucking Shrek. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. I, uh, but it, I told my mum this. She cried. Like, oh. She cried. She was so upset. Uh, and then she literally spent the next three years of her life searching furiously all over the internet <laughs> to try and find the original definition. Three years later, she rings me crying. I found it. Oh, gosh. <laughs> I didn't lie to you all these years, I swear. <laughs> she was so, so distraught. She thought I, she thought she, she thought I thought she'd lie. I was like, yeah. no, for fuck's sake, I'm Shrek. It's okay. Yeah, it's okay. It's, uh, I'm, but, I'm, I've uh, learned to live with it. It's I okay. have, I have. <laughs> but listen, it's great to have you here. Great to be uh, here. Many people would know you from such films as uh, Walking Tall. <laughs> 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 Don't pick a shot, people. <laughs> and uh, if it ain't small, it ain't dynamite. <laughs> you are actually the uh, the brains behind Wink. Yes, and of more am. recent fame, also the right fit. Yes, that's true. So for those people, because I've you know I'm on Instagram, uh, and I done your fair share of stalking. Excellent. Well, I like beautiful. I'm Libran. Oh, me too. When are you no. born? No, October 2nd. Uh, September 28th. Yeah, right. Okay, so you're on the dark side of Libra. <laughs> yeah. um, so anyway, yeah, so I like beautiful things um, and beautiful women and I see this wink everywhere. Wink, wink, wink. I'm glad to hear. I know, you're everywhere. We'll stalk you down, we we'll target you. <laughs> yes, <laughs> I know, right? Don't need to try hard. But uh, so for those people who don't know what wink or the right fit is, give us a little bit of a, what's your yeah. elevator? So Wink is a traditional offline modeling agency. So we have about 650 models Australia-wide. The agency is nearly 11 years old. So Congratulations. Thank you. That's a feat yeah, in yeah. Years. I'm tired just thinking about it. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, that business started in Sydney and we now have offices in Sydney, Melbourne and Brisbane, an amazing team that make all the magic happen there on a day-to-day -day basis. And the right fit is Oh, gosh, nearly two years old now. And it's an online marketplace for creative talent. So we have everything from models, photographers, influencers, um, stylists, uh, bloggers, anything that you would need to bring a creative campaign to life. So is it like a fixed price eBay for online? 
Oh, well, you actually get to set the budget Ooh. as as a brand yes. um, and we will match you back with suitable candidates. So it's kind of like an air tasker or a freelancer, but for top tier, fully vetted creative talent. Right. So an air tasker across Tinder for good looking people. splash of grinder. <laughs> <laughs> I'm so sorry. I don't know why I said that. Okay. So, uh, but most people like the right fit. This is new. I like yes, this. This thank is very, you. very sexy, uh, especially with uh, we're living in the influencer world. True. But Wink, like you've pioneered in an industry that is notoriously difficult, uh, mm. notoriously hard. Um, and has, notor- has a notorious name. Yes, so it's true. So what made you want to – look, I've, I've watched a couple of your videos, so I know you're probably sick <laughs> to death of telling this story. But what is the story? How did you actually get into the, starting your own modeling agency? Obviously, you were a model at one stage, I can assume only by your amazing looks. Oh, I thank and you. you should Flattery see will get you everywhere. <laughs> I'll keep flattering then. And these, you should see – this should actually be not a podcast. This should be a, a, a – now, actually, is that where Wink came from, the eyelashes? Uh, no, I wish I could say it to you. Oh. I wanted it to be like – like a an really exclusive insider only oh. on referral only kind of boutique agency when okay. we launched. Because um, for so those of you who aren't watching the uh, the replay on video, her eyelashes are like at least <laughs> at least eighteen inches long. How is she even standing up? <laughs> Guinness Book of World Records. <laughs> so how did you get into Wink? So I had been modeling myself when I was much, much younger and um, I really, really loved our industry. Obviously, we get to work with incredibly talented human beings and it also affords you some amazing opportunities. Like I got to travel a lot and, and, you know, see parts of the world and do things that, you know, I guess generally 18 to 21-year-olds don't get to do. But there is, as you touched on, some things that the industry is really well known for that are not as glamorous and as exciting, like models don't get paid on time and they traditionally have, you know, pretty awful relationships with their agents and managers. And there was just a lot of things that I thought could be fixed quite easily, obviously with the blissful naivety of someone who had never started a company before. How long had you been modelling at this point? Uh, Probably about five or six years myself. And I'd worked as a producer as well. So I'd worked client side and talent side. So I sort of understood the pain points from both sides. So when you say producer, was that video or on the photo side? Print campaigns, yeah, Yeah, predominantly. So um, yeah, so I'd sort of seen both sides of the industry and I thought, gosh, clients aren't getting a great experience here either. You know, they they also had bad relationships with agents and and they were constantly sort of haggling over price and couldn't get the talent that they wanted and talent that they wanted was showing up, you know, without all the correct information and briefing and, and things like that. So I thought, okay, well, I could solve these problems by creating agency that treated everyone with decency and respect and paid the talent on time. And then the clients would get a great outcome because they had all of these models who wanted to come to work and were highly incentivized to do a good job. And the models could afford to stay in the industry because they were getting paid. So that was where the initial premise for for the business came from. And we paid all of our models within seven days, which we still do to this day, whatever it is, 11 years later. Yeah, right. Um, and we bankroll all the payments for clients because we understand that they might have sort of 30, 60, 90-day payment terms. Um, but it means they get a great outcome because they have talent who obviously love what they're doing and, and can afford to stay in the industry and, and be a part of that. So with values like that being, you know, integrity and the like, how did you last seven years in an industry where that was kind of lacking in a lot of areas. Mm. It did prompt a lot of change, which I'm really proud of. And it really got talent specifically thinking about the kind of agencies that they wanted to be aligned with and what they wanted their career to look like. No, but how did you last that long? Oh, yeah, it was challenging. I see a misfit. Yeah. You know, you seem to be on on the lighter side of a darker space. Yeah. And you lasted so long, long enough to actually, you know, innovate and and create your own 
brand. Yeah. Look, I surrounded myself with really, really good people. Okay. Um, I had fantastic mentors and and great support network. Um, there was definitely, I mean, you would know, like really dark times where you think, oh, can I really keep going? Do I really want to keep doing this? Do I want to keep getting I up and fighting every day? I know just how hard it is to be a model for two reasons. Number one, I did a June Daly Watkins course. Yes. I did. <laughs> I did when I was, ah, fuck, what was I, 13? Modeling and deportment oh. or whatever it was called in those in days. There you go. In Townsville. Yeah, I love it. Yeah. And secondly, um, my team made me go and get a stylist like two or three weeks ago. Because up to them, I dressed like, I know. They were like, like oh, we, we can't look like look, look at you anymore. Dude, it was before, just like, if you, you're hurting like, my eyes. Yeah. I was just, I dressed like a bum. Like I had five pairs of the same jeans, 10 pairs of the same shirt, just different colors. That's nothing wrong team, with that. I didn't it's think so. It's a uniform. So. I thought so, but I, my decision making also I didn't have to think. So anyway, the team comes in because we're launching all these brands. Like, hey man, it's time. You yeah. need to get. You need. You really <laughs> do need to get a star. So I was like, oh, for fuck's sake, really? I said, as long as I don't change me, I want to stay the same. So just they, better. Just better. That's right. <laughs> so they got me a stylist. How did that go? It was actually pretty good. Okay. I was actually. I like this. She said, "I'm channeling Chris Hemsworth." I was like, "You had me at Chris. <laughs> you had me at Chris." Uh, but she, but took, she could see the similarities, right? But the cool thing was she did like reconnaissance. So I'm, I love my military. And she, was, yeah. she, she went to all these shops. She got everything ready first. Uh, uh, this will be about you, I swear. <laughs> <laughs> and she gets all this stuff ready, takes me in these shops, and everything was ready to go. Yeah, perfect. I've never enjoyed taking Smash my clothes grab. off so much. Yep. Except, just... okay, there was maybe one other time. <laughs> but we can't talk about that on air. But, uh, yeah, and so we had the, the clothes, but then I had to get a photo shoot. Mm, how was, was like, that? I was exhausted. Yeah? I was. It's pretty taxing, isn't it? It is. Actually, the trying on the clothes was probably more to- exhausting because I had okay, to like take my yeah. clothes off 25 on times and off, uh, yeah, without it. getting arrested. That's a bit of a challenge. <laughs> but um, yeah, I was actually like, wow, it actually takes yeah, energy takes to a lot of stamina. throw that steel. Yeah, yeah. And so having someone, you know, poke and prod you for 8, 10, 12 hours on set. Oh, clearly I had the wrong photographer. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like I and missed out. Already, yeah, there you go. I'm so sorry. <laughs> Next time we'll find you one. <laughs> Please find me. I want to be quite a more, A more inappropriate one. <laughs> I didn't get what I paid for. Okay. So you started this agency. Yes. Now, knowing a little bit about the agency, because I was in June Daly, <laughs> and how catty it can be, I'm assuming actually, I don't know, but I'm going to assume that the industry can be quite cutthroat, it can be quite catty. W- what happened with the competition? They saw you coming into the industry and offering things that no one had ever done before. Yeah. Did, did they come after you? No. Oh, look, a little bit. There was yeah. definitely some pushback, I think, from people who are a little bit fearful about that change. change, especially on our payment terms. I think, you know, there was a, there was just this um, really historically held view that, you know, models would get paid when clients paid agents and plus 90 days, you know, whatever they would decide to wait, which, which was re- like really unrealistic. I mean, that doesn't happen in any other industry. So um, I think when we started making that change, there was a lot of fear from other agencies about how they would manage their cash flow to sort of keep up with that. But from a client side, they obviously, you know, they were really on board with that. They wanted to be aligned with an agency that were looking after their talent and and thinking about probably broader, um, you know, how how their future was going to be in the industry, the kind of people that they were going to get to work with if they were, you know, investing back and um, and giving a little. So, yeah, it was definitely, um, there was some challenging times. There was, um, you know, you learned to go through a little, little bit of conflict in those first early years and, yeah, and how to manage that. Because there's one, there's conflict and then there's like, like mean girls. That's like a whole nother level of Yeah, conflict. yeah. And I think we were really lucky. We were very um, considered in the type of talent that we'll take on board. Yeah, so we, we so you cherry-pick the talent? Yeah, it's really important that they're not just, you know, beautiful people to, to look at, but right. that they also are aligned with our values. That's really, really important yeah, to me right. and that they – 
that they give back to the agency as well. Um, we do a lot of charity work and things like that. So all of our talent oh, yeah, are, are very much a part of like our extended family. So it's important to me. So how much has uh, in investing in a culture played a role since the beginning of Wink? Mm, incredibly important and both internally and externally. So I think our external 650 models, they can definitely feel the internal energy of the company. With so. the structure you've got, did mm. that give you the ability to cherry pick some of the best talent in the country with that kind of th- with those kind of terms? Yeah, and it was really clear for us to who aligned with us and who yeah. didn't. You know, it was very easy to say, okay, well, you know, uh, is this person aligned with our values and will they fit in our team? And the ones that don't will really early self-identify and opt out, you yeah, know, and right. that's great. You know, that it saves everyone, both sides, you know, a lot of heartache and hassle. And so how did you go about before I actually go more into culture, I am curious to know, have your competitors followed suit? Like have you actually We've definitely reduced payment terms, yeah, across the industry. So it's sort of probably more like 30 to 60 days now as opposed to 90 days to six months, which is what it was previously. So it's it's heading in the right direction. We still hear horror stories of, you know, models who have never got paid or have found out, you know, months down the track that they were owed a rollover that they never received or things like that, which is really sad. You yeah. know, it is still still the case. Um, but, you know, positive steps in the right direction, which That's is correct. good. So how many talent do you have inside Wink? How many staff Team, in the agency? Yeah, yeah. Oh, in the agency, there's six in the internal agency. Okay, yeah. and 650 Yeah, models that they're managing on a day-to-day and basis. So how have you – and what have you done? Culture is obviously something very important mm-hmm. to you. How have you managed culture – in an environment where most people are not within proximity where you can just reach out and touch them? Yeah, well, we really – so we have an internal company Facebook page for all of our talent, um, which is really nice. So we get to sort of interact with them and they get to know what's happening. And our team spend a lot of time um, letting our talent know what's going on internally in the company because we think that's really important to them. Mm. You know, it's a little bit mystifying for them as well. What what does a booker do or a general manager do in our company on a day-to-day basis? So – making that really transparent and visible to them what we're working on through social media. So sharing those, you know, Instagram stories and and then we make sure we have regular get-togethers nationwide. So yeah, we right. go and catch up with our team. We have regular drinks, go to events and parties together. They have a regular newsletter that goes out as well, letting them know sort of all the goings-on and new faces that have joined. And we built an end-to-end calendar management, payroll integration um, and onboarding software about five years ago now. That sounds expensive. It was expensive and it was like a terrible learning lesson for someone who had never built a tech product before. And I was like, I want all the things. Did we'll it build end all well? of it. It actually did. Yeah. It just, it was a, a, a roundabout way of getting there, I yeah, suppose. Okay, right. So it was supposed to be sort of a three month build. <laughs> 18 months later, bigger than Ben-Hur project. Yeah, yeah. It's um, It totally transformed that business though. So it means that we can send them auto updates during the day about yeah, what's right. going on and job opportunities that are available or new things that have been released or special offers and stuff like that. So it really keeps them connected because it's really important. Okay. And so what do you focus on predominantly now? As Because you're like the, the, the CEO of Wink, is that right? Yes. Yes. And I have an incredible partner in that business um, who joined, oh, so she's worked for me for, God, seven years or maybe longer. Um, and she came on board as my managing director, God, probably about three years ago now. And she's incredible. And she keeps all the magic happening in that business um, because I've officially stepped out about 18 months ago to the right fit. Okay. Um, And, yeah, so she makes all the magic happen on a day-to-day basis. And I probably only spend like 
two hours a week in the hands-on operations of that company. Wow, um, that's magic. Yeah, which was obviously, it was really scary, you yeah. know, taking that sort of stuff. It's my firstborn, you know, it's my baby. Oh. So it was like really hard, yeah. you know, letting go. And, Are you um, a control freak? Totally, absolutely. <laughs> I love it. I absolutely love self-confessed. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. So letting, and, you know, it comes with systems and processes yeah. and, and trust being earned over time and, and they're awesome. That that team is just incredible. They're, they're really awesome. So now I'm... Completely focused on the right fit, which is okay. uh, obviously a tech company, so it comes with a whole bunch of different challenges. So in terms of social media, I'm going to assume that's played a role not just in Wink, but well, no, I'm not going to assume anything. Has social media played a role in Wink? But I'm going to also assume you what you've seen through social media has led to the right fit. But let's yes. start with the Wink side before we yeah. transition. How much, like, you know, I'm, I'm going to assume you've been going for 11 years, years now. Yeah. So this is literally, so so, this yeah. is the beginning yeah. of Facebook, yeah. long before Instagram. Yep. So you would have been like halfway through your journey when the the Facebook started to get traction. Yeah, the Facebook, the Facebook, there? yeah, uh, Instagram, the internet, the yeah. internet, the interwebs. <laughs> yeah, uh, this, that fad. Um, and Instagram starts to come online. Have you, did you guys start to hook in quite early into that and ride the wave? Yeah, and it really changed how we operated as a business, obviously as well, because we went for. I mean, I remember like faxes, like we were back in the old school days. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Dial up internet, exactly, yeah, right. and um, you know, call sheets and things like that were literally faxed out the night before jobs and was all very manual. We would sign contracts and fax them back and things like that. So it's really changed. It's changed how we market the brand. It's changed the type of talent that we sign to the agency. Um, yeah, it's it's changed a lot of things. It's changed how connected we are. It's changed the expectations of our clients as well in terms of Has it also changed the, the power dynamic? Because once upon a time, the power was held in the agency. Mm. Uh, but now it seems to be that the power is being held in the in the talent because they're Definitely. able to have their front face Build in. a brand. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. And I think it's one of the core things that we talk about all the time is right. that we need to be a value add in that supply chain. So mm. if we're not adding value, then we absolutely should not be paid a commission. So if a client is that. just coming to us saying, you know, well, I, I, I need help, I need suggestions, this is what I'm looking for. We need to add value in that equation. Otherwise, they can absolutely just go to Instagram or Facebook and find the model that they want and contact them directly. So I think it's super important that we. I love the fact that you that. look for ways to add value. So in a scenario like that, how do you add value when they can go straight to Instagram? Yeah. So making sure that we're educating a client and helping them in understanding. There's a lot of acronyms and uh, you know things. I fucking in- hate acronyms. <laughs> <I> <laughs> me get stuck too. On them me all too. Time. Um, and things that make our industry really complicated. So helping them understand, you know, what they should be paying, what they what they should be expecting, what they can get out of a shoot day. You know, how many how many um, looks would be reasonable, and then helping you know, things like call sheets and public liability insurance and contracts, and making sure they understand image usages and where they can and can't use them, and and things like that. So. Yeah, right. Yeah, and then on the talent side, obviously making sure that they get paid on time and that they're legally mm. protected and and all of those things. So. Okay. So at what point did you go, hmm, you're starting to see all these personalities mm. thrive in the social environment. Yeah. Facebook, Instagram. That's I'm going to assume they're, they're predominantly the influencer spaces that you work in. Yeah. I mean, mainly we do, Instagram. Uh, Instagram, Facebook, LinkedIn. We do LinkedIn a lot. LinkedIn yeah, well. Yep. Is a, um, we have B2B influencers, so yeah, in right. that space as well. A little bit on Snapchat, probably less in the last 12 months. Um, ouch. Yeah, yeah. Ouch. Um, <laughs> and yeah, they're, they're probably the main ones. Obviously, we have bloggers as well with their own channels and content right. creators who might podcast or, you know, create all different sorts of, of content, YouTube, video. Because unless you're under the age of 25, most people in Australia or most, let me let me contextualize this, most businesses in Australia still can't get their head around what a fucking influencer is. Yeah, it's very true. And it's kind of shocking like yeah. when you are 
Look, I don't even have my finger on the pulse. Like I literally, I, I check in with the pulse like once every couple of days <laughs> just to make sure that yeah, inter- yeah, the yeah. interwebs are still alive. <laughs> yep, still there, great. Um, but I, I find it really quite fascinating in an age where disruption is happening at a million miles a minute. You know, the marketing that was working once upon a time isn't working anymore. Even Facebook ads that were working three years ago, 12 months ago, they're not even working the same Correct, ways anymore. Yeah. It's really hard for brands to tell their own story. It really is becoming very hard, but Mm. it's really hard to get that reach, that connection with the right audiences. And then along comes influencers, okay? And um, influencers to me, the reason I... Uh, I think it sat with me so well is because in the first couple of startups that I had, I made all my money through joint ventures. Yeah. And a joint venture is where you find, you know, a, a, another business that has the same market th- yep. as the one you're going Aligned after. Aligned to your values and your Boom. audience. Yep. And then you go out with a mutually beneficial proposition, you collaborate and everybody wins, which is basically like, you know, the 25 an under way of saying, oh, you're an influencer. Yeah, <laughs> exactly, exactly. And it's amazing. You're exactly right. So many brands don't understand that and they have this preconceived idea that influencer marketing is all about shiny, beautiful pictures on Instagram for fashion labels or bikinis or travel or lifestyle brands. And it's so much more than that. It's exactly what you said. You know, it's about finding someone who resonates, who has the right audience, who can speak with authenticity and and really add value. It needs to be, you know, a mutually beneficial relationship. So a way that you can collaborate together to say, hey, you've spent all this time curating this audience who believe you and trust you and, and that you're a real key opinion leader in. How can we as a brand tap into that and add some value to you? and to your audience and and obviously get our brand out there. So it can be on any number of channels. And I think, you know, brands that can see that and recognize that and harness that can do really, really well. Let's narrow it down for, for my grandma who could be watching <laughs> from heaven. Uh, it's a long it's a way long to be watching. Way, I, know, right? I love that she's still loving she's on you still though. Around. Of course she's she is. still around. I can feel her. Um, what is an influencer? Okay. I believe it's someone who has that real authentic engagement and reach and an audience that genuinely follows them for a particular reason. So whether that is that they're an expert in a particular field or um, have cut through in a particular way that a brand can engage with. So it doesn't necessarily have to be on any particular channel. It doesn't even have to be online. You know, journalists are influencers, celebrities are influencers, athletes are influencers. So it really depends on the brand and and who you're trying to talk to. And that's always the first point for a brand is, is stopping and going, okay, who am I trying to talk to? Who are my target demographic? Where do they play? What audience mm. is relevant to them? Is it online? And if so, where online? Or is it the vet, is it a local? And, and this is what I love about influencer marketing versus joint ventures because joint ventures for the most part were about identifying other businesses that have a commercial relationship. Influencers, it goes that one step further. It's not even a commercial relationship. In most cases, yeah. it's not a commercial relationship. It's a relationship yeah. relationship. It's yeah. an engagement. It's a connection based yes. on, you know, uh, an alignment of values or an alignment of, of interests. Yes. But what uh, what fascinates me is why do you think in this country we live in, which – we will debate in terms of where we're at as uh, when it comes to innovation. Why do you think we're so slow to catch on to the bandwagon? Do you think it's because most people, when they even think of a social media influencer, they think, oh, well, then I can't afford Kim Kardashian or I can't yeah. afford the Jenners. Yeah. It, do you think? And I think it was highly unregulated for a long time. Right. I think a lot of people got burnt in the early days of spending an absolute fortune on things without doing that initial research of who are my target audience? Mm. How, how is this person going to speak to them? Um, so I think there was a lot of that. There is this, you know, mystification. What does ROI mean? How will I track it? How long will it How, take? Yeah, you know, w- what's an engagement rate? All of these things. Are they fake followers? You know, so there's all of these things mm. that I think people are a little bit fearful of. And I think because of that, we've probably, as a nation, maybe popped it in a box that's a little bit too hard to deal with. Come back to you later. 
One of the things I've seen is a lot of people misunderstand what an influencer is. Mm -hmm. And I kind of threw it out there with the Kylie Jenner and the Kim Kardashian because a lot of people think in order for them to connect with an influencer, they need to be connected with someone who has millions of followers. Yeah. Whereas some of the best executed influencer strategies, you know the high smile boys. You probably know the high smile boys, right? And what I love about their early stage influencer strategy is they were going after accounts and they were going after influencers and in some cases were two, three, four, five thousand, up to ten thousand people that were following these individuals yeah. and they were instead of getting one person and a million, you know, followers, they were getting like twenty people yeah. you know, with three to fifteen thousand followers. Yeah. And so it really has kind of redefined what it is that we're looking for when it comes Definitely. to that kind of outreach, doesn't it? Yeah. They've got this really highly engaged audience that, mm. and they're a real opinion leader. They, these people really trust them. I mean, they're, they're following that person for a reason and especially in that sort of micro, I mean, micro influence was now sort of up to 30,000 followers. But So how to, as a business, like if I was a business and I wanted, apart from going straight to the right fit, if I was a business and I wanted to perhaps, you know, look at using influencers, because this is your thing now, mm. right? It, well, we have a lot of different types of talent on the platform, but uh, influencers is one of them, yes. Okay. And the platform is built around a social backbone. So even if you're booking other types of talent, so what we were seeing is a lot of brands were saying, okay, well, we want to create a really authentic campaign. Right. How can we do that using people who are content creators? So they might be a uh, travel writer or a parent with kids who can talk with real authenticity about, you know, a particular food product for kids or vitamins or things like that. So how can we engage them um, to create and seed and amplify content? So they might be starring in the TVC, but then that's also being shared across their own channels, or they might be writing long form content for the brand's, you know, recipes or something like that. So it's about making it more of a holistic approach Mm. than this sort of scattergun, I'm going to engage an influencer at the end of a campaign to just seed content. Yeah, right. Because mm. that's, again, and I love I love that holistic campaign mm. perspective because most people when they use influencers, and I think this is where a lot of people get burnt, they go in yeah. and they pay for a few posts for an influencer to post out there and they don't realise that most ROI isn't going to come immediately, is it? Yes, in most that's scenarios. exactly right. And and they, I, what I hate seeing is when they come to an influencer and they say, okay, we've got this really specific message and I want you to use these words mm. and this is, and it wants to be, I want you to post it at 5 o'clock on a Tuesday and you're like, no, this is all wrong. Go, like, sit down and identify okay, who would speak, you know, to our audience in a really great way and how can we work with this influencer on something that's going to add value to their audience? Okay, like maybe we can do a, you know, collaboration, maybe we'll make you an ambassador. How can we create content together instead of just dictating to you? You know, it's a dialogue. It needs to be, you know, a two-way communication, not just us telling I love the way you framed it. It's almost like an integrated integrated influencer strategy where you're not Mm. just getting them to seed content. Yeah. You're also getting them involved in the brand. You're getting them involved in the dialogue and involved in the business in some way, shape or form. Yeah. We're just releasing a pitch directory in our platform at the moment where as a brand you can, you know, list what you're about and what you're sort of interested in receiving content back about. And then content creators can pitch you ideas so they can say, hey, you know, um, Verve Clicquot, I'm travelling to France and I'd love to go and visit, you know, the the champagne houses there and I could do a story on that and I could document the process and my key learnings and take X, you know, number of photos for you or whatever it might be. And, you know, this would be the cost associated with that. So really letting them come up with these really true, authentic stories that are going to resonate hopefully with, with an audience. So how do you, and again, it's so interesting. I've, I've interviewed, I don't know, at least four or five people now on influencers and everyone fucking struggles with this question. How <laughs> Look do out, you, it's a tough one. <laughs> but, but, but yours is going to be interesting because most pe- people I speak to around influencers, they're, they're talking about seeding content. Yeah. You're the first person who's actually come in here 
um, and this is not a throw off on anyone, with a really intelligent, integrated, holistic approach rather than just going, okay, we'll just pay you to seed some content. Mm. Like I really think that's smart and I don't say that very often. Thank you. The word smart. I can't even <laughs> smell it. Apparently it's an acronym for something. I'm not sure. But um, the way that you've done it is really incredibly intelligent. So how do you put a value on a strategy that in most cases doesn't create an instant or an immediate ROI when you're doing what it is that you do from so many different angles? Yeah. And so I think this is where it's about thinking about the broader brand goals. So I think as a brand, then they need to sit down and say, well, is it, are they specifically after a really clear call to action by this product on Tuesday, you know, for our sale? Because that's a very, very different strategy to trying to build a long-term relationship with an audience yeah, right. that's going to have, you know, a much broader reach. And and again, then that comes down to how you track that. So are you trying to shift perception? Are you looking to, you know, increase positive brand sentiment? Is it trying to be aligned with a particular person or industry or or thought leader? So I think working backwards from that, then you need to say, okay, well, what are our overarching goals as a brand? And that's how you can place some sort of value on that. Okay, if we're, we're shifting things in, in the right direction. But let's get to the nitty gritty. How mm. do you then go, all right, I'm a business, I'm a small business, let's say I'm turning over somewhere between two and a half to $12 million. I want to start using influencers mm-hmm. to outreach to my network. How would I create a budget for this kind of an idea? Well, I mean, great thing about the right fit is you can let the influencer create budget for you. So you can yeah, right. say, you know, we're a, you know, I don't know, parenting brand or whatever it might be, um, fashion label, I don't know. And then they can tender you ideas and give you costs associated with that. And then you can work backwards from there and say, okay, well, can we repurpose this content across how many channels? What channels are we going to use it on? We can use it also in Facebook advertising, EDMs, whatever it might be. And then you can track, obviously, all of those channels. But you can also say, okay, well, how many of those people, we get amazing data and analytics now So from Instagram. So you can say, okay, for how many of those people's audience then click through? How many of them subscribe to our database? Did we give them some sort of particular call to action? Are we promoting a particular product? Or Yeah, so I think there's some really interesting things you can do, but it's about thinking about the content and collateral overall and then how you can you know, use that to, to shape your brand's story. So let's talk content then. So what mm. is a good content strategy when working with an influencer? You've already kind of touched yeah. on a few things. Oh, again, it's so difficult because it really depends on the brand and what you're trying to achieve. Cool. But I really think m- making sure that it's a value add for your, if, if it's being housed on your channels, obviously a value add for your community. Um, sitting down with that influencer and going, okay, well, w- what are the pain points that our customers are having, you know, and the questions that you see coming through, whether it's customer service or on social media, and then how can that influencer being the the opinion leader and the, the expert in their space, how can that person answer those for your audience? How can we build out whether it's a video strategy, a podcast, you know, um, long form content? How can we make sure that we're adding value to this audience? Because people don't come to social media or don't, you know, subscribe to your blogs to be sold to. They're here because they want you to educate them and provide useful and insightful information, ideally from a key opinion Mm. leader. And if that key opinion leader is an influencer and can share it on their channels as well, well, then that's great. So what, and I guess I already know what your answer is going to be. I know half the answer, (laughs) but I'm going to ask it anyway. (laughs) Types of content, platform dependent. Yes. And influencer dependent. Yes. And brand dependent. Yeah. What are you seeing are the most um, ROI positive Types of content, depending on the context, of course. Oh, we're seeing great results um, from LinkedIn, from brands that are using influencers and opinion leaders um, on LinkedIn for long-form so content. Cool. Yeah, which is really interesting. So when you obviously, say long-form, you're talking articles. Articles, yeah. yeah. And also video now as well, obviously, with the changes that LinkedIn have made around um, LinkedIn video. So I think that's really interesting because, like, again, it's a channel that a lot of people would 
think is not relevant for influencer marketing, but it absolutely is. So that's definitely one as a a brand I would look into. And you can also get so highly targeted in who you're speaking to on LinkedIn. Mm. So it's definitely worth doing, especially obviously if you're in a B2B play. Um, What else have we seen really great results on? Influencer marketing on Instagram, if it's done really well, because it, it really... How do you do it well on Instagram? No, it need, like yeah, cheesecake. well, because you can't do this, can you? You can't be like, buy, buy this coffee. Oh, bugger. It, <laughs> sorry. Get rid of the coffee cup. <laughs> Fuck him. I told you this wouldn't work. <laughs> you need to do things that, I mean, we like thumb-stopping content. If people, I'm here, oh, I'm scrolling, I'm, I need I stuff that is going to make me stop and look. Yeah. So it can't just be you know, someone posting a photo of them with their coffee cup. It needs to be, it it comes back to the genesis of the creative idea, right? Which is back how, you know, advertising has always worked. It needs to have some sort of amazing idea at the heart of it. So it needs to be interesting. It needs to be engaging. It needs to be thought provoking. It needs to be in some way, make people stop and think and feel something. So whatever that is for your brand, um, that's what gets cut through on, on Instagram. Are you seeing video playing more of an important role on Instagram? Yeah, I think probably still more so on on YouTube. We definitely yeah. have brands um, who are looking to engage influencers on YouTube who already have a very clear audience, whether that's action, sports, um, adventure. That's probably predominantly where we see. And beauty, obviously, um, YouTube playing a really strong role. Because I saw a great reputable stat. I can't actually recall where it came from, but I know it was reputable because I pulled it out and, and noted it, that people who watch, consumers who watch videos are 1.8 times more likely to purchase than non-viewers, mm. which kind of points a lot to the video conversation. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's an easier way to build a relationship with someone. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, a, it's a dialogue, you know, you are really getting to share a longer story. People, as we know on social, are less inclined to read lots of long content about a product or service. So I think if you can capture that in a succinct video in a really engaging way, you're definitely more likely to get sales and click through, I would imagine. So in terms of the most valuable channels, and I, and again, mm. I, I already know what you're going to say. I'm like, <laughs> it's like I'm psychic. Uh, and I know you're going to say it depends yeah. on the brand. Depends on the brand. Depends <laughs> on what they're trying to achieve. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But yeah. this is good. This is what yeah. the people want to know. Yeah. Because a lot of people go, well, what 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 platform should I be focusing on? And when you look at the stats, five, the average social media user has 5.5, 5.5 different platforms that they yeah. manage. Yeah. So when it comes to the brand identifying which is the most valuable choice for them, how would you help them do that? I, I would probably sit down with, look at your existing database and where did they come from? How did they initially hear about you? So did they have they signed up to your podcast or your business or where did they make their first purchase from? Was it from a blog? Was it from LinkedIn? Was it from Instagram? Was it from social? And then see if you can double down on that channel. If you know that that one's already seeing some sort of results, I would you know invest in that further. See where you can make lookalike audiences um, of your existing customer base as well. Um, And then look at them demographically and go, okay, well, if they're predominantly mums, 35 to 45 years old, well, what channel can I most easily target those on? If they're millennials, 16 to what are millennials these days? I, I don't, don't know. know. 15 16 to, to 43. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so totally counts. Up. So, um, you know, what, what channels are they most active on? Um, yeah. And then what is my creative idea and where can I execute that? Because if my creative idea plays to video, well then, you know, maybe like there's going to be channels that don't play to that, obviously. So if I've got a great creative idea that needs execution on, that's visually heavy, then what channels are going to play best to that? So you've given us some great social juice. Let's dive back into the business side. So you launched um, The Right Fit in two years ago. Two years ago, yeah. Uh, what 
how many people you got in the business so far? How many team? There's 11 in the team in general. Wow, so yeah. it's bigger. It's, an, it's a digital business and it's bigger than your traditional business. Yeah, I know. I was like, I'm building an online store. <laughs> people will come and they will buy and they will check out and I'll be a millionaire and it will like, I will not need any of these people. And, Incorrect. And yeah. working from a laptop <laughs> Exactly, on the beach. exactly. Sipping cocktails. Yeah, no, right. it turns out not the case. Yeah. So tell me, you've got 11 people. What was your first hire? First hire was a developer. Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. So all of our dev is done in-house. So. Okay. Second hire? Yeah. Second hire would have been, God, now you're making me think, marketing. Yeah, okay, right. Yeah. And so what have been some of your biggest lessons in oh, this business? Oh, gosh, today? yeah, so many. This um, sounds like a painful business, this one. It's Well, it's definitely, it's a, more, it's a much more complex beast, obviously, than um, what we have in Wink, which is a um, highly structured but repeatable business. Um, obviously, two-sided marketplaces have many, many more pain points. We've got a broader supply base, so we don't just have models. We have photographers and videographers and hair and makeup artists and stylists and celebrities and athletes. You know, so we're serving a much broader talent side. Um, and then on our client side, we're dealing directly with internal marketing managers and brands and advertising agencies. So it's um, a broader mm. offering on both sides. So we have a, we obviously need to find the right liquidity point. So we need the right types of supply and demand to make sure that the people are getting the types of work that they want and that the clients can find the type of talent they need for their projects. So there's all of that. And then on top of that, building a, a, a platform at the same time, which is constantly evolving with new feature releases. And so, yeah, it's definitely been a challenging business, which is why I launched it. You know, I really, I was sort of had the, it was probably eight and a half year itch in Wink and I was really looking for like a new challenge. <laughs> do I buy and, a puppy or do I yeah, get Yeah, exactly. Do I go on holiday, get yeah. married, have some kids or do I throw myself in the deep end and do another business? So... Yeah. So look, I, I wanted a new challenge. I wanted to learn. And I could see all the leading indicators for change in our industry, exactly mm. as you touched on earlier. Brands were moving towards these small bits of social digital, like snackable content. And they were seeing the rise of these influencers who were their own brands. And smart brands were saying, okay, well, how can I utilize someone like that? Why can I not use a model? Why can I, why can't I use someone who's already got this engaged following and sort of speak to their audience as well. Um, so there was kind of a lot of leading indicators that were like, okay, well, someone's going to disrupt this industry. Is it going to be me or is it going to be someone else? And Someone you know, assume you were probably one of the first businesses of its kind. Yeah, yeah. And there's sort of no one doing this globally. This like a, really? a yeah, two-sided marketplace for creative talent to really unite all of the things that you would need for a, a creative or advertising campaign. And are you seeing so, the traction now on the on? on yeah, the and it's really interesting because the industry itself is shifting so quickly. So mm. um, obviously advertising agencies are, are changing dramatically very quickly, trying to bring sort of content creation in-house, whereas they're sort of previously outsource that. And same with brands directly, you know, in the times where they would have gone and spent half a million, million bucks with a with an advertising agency to create a few pieces of hero content a year, they now have to feed all of these digital channels with the same budget. Uh, they've got less execution time and they're trying to do more with less essentially. So it's a really interesting time in our industry. And as we all know, like all of these platforms are changing so quickly as well. So people are like, you know, as you said, I was, I was getting cut through on Facebook and now I'm not. How can I change my strategy there? How can I use influencers as part of that? How can I make more engaging content? Is it video? Is it stills? So. 
So how have you managed, and, and I hope you don't mind me going in this area because I'm sure you've been asked this question before, but you know, as, as, a, as a woman in a world of men in business, and I yeah. guess the modeling side is going to be a little bit different because there's a yeah. lot of female uh, agency owners there, but moving into um, a digital space, which mm. is predominantly men. Definitely. How have you found, because have you raised capital yet? Yes, yeah. So we've done two rounds okay. and, and it was, um, yeah, great point because obviously the modeling industry is, I mean, female models get paid more than males and there's more female. That is oh, just atrocious. <laughs> so there's, um, there's definitely, it was definitely a big step for me going yeah. into an industry that was heavily dominated by men. Obviously, raising capital um, was a com- very unique experience for me. I've never had a boss. I've never you know, been employed. So going through you don't an seem industry. Like the type that'd be very easily told what to do somehow. <laughs> I think I'd make a great employee. <laughs> <laughs> Followed by fuck you. <laughs> Followed by, yeah, getting sacked day too. Um, so, you know, it was really interesting. It was a really interesting journey. I'm a non-technical founder as well. Yeah. So do you have a technical co-founder? No, I don't. And I have an amazing dev team. Yeah. And my senior developer is actually a female as well. So wow. which is a rare, rare hire, rare find. Um, pipeline problem, something that I'm super passionate about solving longer term. But anyway, so yeah, it was, it was, um, I learned a lot of things the hard way. I was sort of going out and I was going to meetings and being like, is this real? Like, you know, I could be the only female in a room sometimes. And, and how did you find the investment community in Australia when you were raising capital? A little bit immature in comparison to other markets? Oh, look, I can't, I can't speak, uh, you know, for other markets. I haven't yeah. sort of fundraised internationally. Um, incredibly supportive. Um, I think that there's, there is a lot of money here in Australia to invest. Um, and I think they're really open to hearing ideas. Um, they're looking for for exciting new things. And I think if you, we were pretty calculated in in the kind of investment that we wanted. Right. Obviously, I had a business that was funding my startup, which was nice, but you know, not sustainable forever. But it did mean that we didn't have to go out and raise we money immediately. And I wanted, you know, smart money. I didn't want dumb money. Um, mm. I wanted money from people who were strategic investors and could add more than just a cash injection. I wanted the right long-term partners. So we were pretty strategic in who we went out and spoke to. But I think it's a it's a really interesting time here. I think obviously with a lot of these changes to um, investment regulations here in Australia and R&D grants and things like that, it's going to be an interesting time. I don't know yeah, what's going to so. change. and um, But hopefully we'll see more great startups getting funded. Um, that would be lovely. And yeah, and yeah. I think, you know, obviously we saw probably a few backdoor listings and things that, you know, maybe burnt a lot of people, mum and dad investors, which is a shame. But well, I think the biggest challenge is we've lost so much great natural homegrown yeah. talent. Yeah. Because we don't have the infrastructure here yeah. or the networks here, or in some cases we don't support failure. Yeah. We don't understand the value of failure. Totally agree with that. Um, and I think, look, and the tax offsets. You know, there's oh, so many things that, that you know, we should be doing to yeah. keep great ideas just even, and great Even talent, just an, yeah. an employee investor, an employee share option. Oh, I know. Yes. Yeah. 457 visas. Like it's just. It's nuts. Yeah. They're not making it easier no. for us. So no. what's been, been your biggest mistake in, because I'm going to assume yeah. launching a second company, this is where I see so many people fuck it up, right? Yeah. They get this amazing, they get their first business going, they get up to a point. Now you've done it well. You've got to a point where it only needs you for two hours a week. Um, and then you've started your second business. But this is where most people screw up their first business. Yeah. How did you juggle and how did you manage? Was it was it because by virtue that you only needed for a couple of hours a week that it was easier to do? No, was I was still working full time in that business when oh, wow. I sort of, yeah, launched the right fit. And I genuinely naively believed I could do both, which was just ridiculous. So it was... Um, There's nothing wrong with being genuinely <laughs> I think it's very attractive. <laughs> it's like, I'm superhuman. <laughs> yeah. I'm going to be able to do all the things. No, it was a case that that business had really great systems and processes. Yeah, and right. I understood that 
if that business was going to continue and succeed, I had to take my hands off things that I was touching on a day-to-day basis. I had to try and put in systems and processes for the team to report into me with big decisions and then be okay with letting everything else go. So it was hard as a control freak and someone who loved touching stuff and being across the minutiae of all of the decision, (laughs) realizing that that's not scalable and going, okay, well, I've got this, you know, shiny new toy over here and if I want to go and spend time with it and do it well and if I do believe that it has the the ability to scale like I do believe, then, you know, you're going to have to let this go and, and let someone else run. Well, it's almost so. like, um, and I hope I'm not, or maybe I'm looking into your future, you needed that lesson in, in order to fully thrive in this lesson. Because in a tech business, you you have to give, so you have to surrender a lot of control. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely, and know all the things you don't know. You know, being able to go, okay, well, I'm not an ex, I'm not a product manager, I'm not a product expert. Yeah, right. Know, so, I'm not a you know engineer. I'm not you know head of marketing. There's all these things that you have to go. Okay, well, I can give you some domain expertise and my industry insights, but then I've got to let you go and execute. Biggest mistake in the transition? What was it? Oh, probably not doing enough of a handover. My poor managing director, I was like, hey, got to go. Bye. <laughs> See ya. Got this other startup Literally, well, and because, um, you know, we, we raised capital, so it was kind of like, hey, I've got these shareholders that I'm accountable to whose money I've taken who I really, really need to deliver these pretty aggressive results for. Sorry. Like, are you okay? Can you just do this thing? You good? Yeah. So that was that was tough, um, I think, for both of us in that, you know, I probably hadn't done much of a handover and I was very lucky that she's incredibly experienced and had been with the business and um, was very happy to sort of run with it and make decisions and, and own those decisions. Um, and what other mistakes in the handover of the, the transition period? Probably not understanding um, how complex a beast the second business would be compared to the first. I think going through that process and learning all the lessons that you learn about delegating and cash flow management and whatever and thinking that they can be completely transplanted onto a, another business. And, you know, there's similarities, but there's a lot of differences. Yeah, right. And biggest lesson in the new business so far? Ooh. So many to choose from. Uh, there's so many. I've been really lucky um, in this business. I'm very good at knowing what I don't know and putting my hand up and asking for help. And oh, that's in itself. Yeah, itself I think. Yeah. And so, it ha- and I've been really lucky in that the times that I've put my hand up and asked for help, I've had amazing people around me who have, you know, really paid it forward, you know, from, from mentors to advisors to, you know, other entrepreneurs and startups who, you know, I can go, you know, this particular campaign's not performing or, oh, I'm really stuck with the, you know, how our product roadmaps work, whatever it might be, who have gone, hey, I've solved that. Let me, you know, give me give you some advice or, you know, where I put my hand up and said, can I just steal an hour of your time and take you to lunch? I just really need to unpick this payment gateway problem or whatever it is. And people have been so happy to pay it forward and, um, you know, really, really go above and beyond to, to help. So that's been, um, so lesson in that is, you know, putting your hand up and saying, you know, it's not, a, it, it's totally okay to not know everything. And mm. I think especially maybe female founders are, are probably less inclined to, say, hey, I actually don't know that. I've never been through that before. Could you help me? Um, so I think probably removing some of that um, would be, yeah, lesson. I wish I'd probably started doing that a little bit sooner, um, asking for help. And gosh, I mean, there's so many. Replatforming in the middle of a raise was probably not a great idea. Oh, wow. And that was just, 
you know, these things always take, replatforming always takes longer than you think and fundraising always takes longer than you think and then all of a sudden it's all happening at the same time. So <laughs> that was definitely probably the most stressful two months of my life. Yeah, right. Um, yeah, so, I mean, lots of horrible learning lessons that you learn the hard way. Horrible learning? But can you, are they really horrible? No, I mean, you look you back like and fail- you think. What is your relationship with failure? Like, yeah. Do you like failure? Yeah, I, re- I do, I think, as long as you have the time to look back and learn from it. Because yeah, I right. think there's a lot of times where you're like, oh, fuck that up, but you don't get the ability to go, okay, well, what would I do differently? And because you're so busy, you know, f- focusing on maybe fixing what you fucked up, possibly. <laughs> um, so, so, you know, sometimes, yes, I like things that are fuck-ups that you can learn from and yeah. you go, okay, in the benefit of hindsight, I would have handled this this way. Yeah. Um, definitely building a culture where that's okay and where people can go, okay, well, I tried this. Here's the here was my hypothesis when I, you know, tried it and here's the decision making process I went through. So here was the outcome. But, you know, here's my reasoning for doing it, not just I tried it and I don't know, it didn't work. So. What type of a leader are you? Oh, I don't know. You'd have to ask my team. If I was to ask uh, your team, what type of a leader would they tell me that you are? Oh, total dictator. No. Um, <laughs> look, I think they they see that um I work very, very hard and that Are you the hardest have, working person in the room? No, I think at different times everyone in my team um, is the yeah, hardest nice. working person in the room. And yeah. I think, you know, with a with a tech product, that is always the case. You know, there'll be, you know, particular high points for marketing or product and development and um, sales, you know, they've always got something on the go. So, look, I think um, they would say I'm pretty fearless, I'm pretty determined. Um, I drive them pretty hard, but um, I reward them you know, as well. And I love the reason, you know, with Wink, we, you know, started from the ground up and we ha- we couldn't hire the best in breed from day one. It's impossible, you know, when you're a startup. With this business, I made a conscious decision of hiring the best people that I could find because I wanted to come to work every day and be like amazed by them. And I wanted mm. to be wowed and makes the journey a lot more enjoyable for you. Like second time around, you, you know, you kind of know what you're looking for. And, um, and it also means that, you know, you get to come to work every day with people who are knocking it out of the park and who you're learning from, which is, you know, such an important part of the journey for me. So, so they inspire you? Totally, totally. And I love, I'm loving learning, you know, especially from like our, you know, analysts and things like that, where I'm like, oh, so much data that we can dig into on a day-to-day basis. And some of the learnings that come out of that is just really eye-opening. So if there's one yeah. value that if I walked into your business and I spent like just a day yeah. as a fly on the wall, what would be the number one value that I'd see that would rise to the service just through behavior? Oh, that's a great question. It would be probably between, I'm trying to think of the, there's probably two top values. I think there's um, love the data. Like there's no, there's no one in our business that makes like decisions on the fly without, you know, really digging deep into the data before they make them. And I love that. That's one of our really, really close. In God held. we trust, yeah. all else bring data. <laughs> so true. Um, always be iterating. Like that's a really important thing for me that, you know, we don't just sit and forget something and and not, you know, whether that's a business plan or a, you know, ad campaign or whatever it might be is, is always be. And I think my team are amazing at that. They're always constantly looking at what they're doing and how they can be doing it better um, and trying new things and experimenting. What else would you see? I think there's a um, a general passion to to want to do well, and I think that's a really, really nice and really important thing. Are they high performers the, in your team? Yeah, yeah, which is really nice. Do you find I it think. hard to work with people who aren't high performers? Yes, 
frustrating, yes, isn't it? Super hard. Yeah. I would love to um, be able to accept mediocrity. Um, oh, no, or no, no, have no, it no, around don't me. But ever it's... love to be able to accept that kind of stuff. <laughs> it's... Um, this is almost lightning round. <laughs> what is the one thing you've learned when it comes to recruiting that helps you identify the difference between a wannabe high performer and a genuine high performer? Ooh. Um, you can teach skills, I think. Mm. So it's less about looking for, you know, what they've studied or whatever. Um, definitely you can't train that culture piece or that um, desire to be brave. I think like telling you times where they've tried something and failed and what they've learned from it and how you can see that excitement in them when they're like, yeah, I did this thing and I fucked it up, but I learned so much from it. It was awesome. And this is how I'd use that moving forward. I think bravery, I think is a big piece. Um, People, yeah, who are willing to push the boundaries and because, you know, as a startup, you don't, we don't have infinite time to prove ideas and, and um, you know, paralyze ourselves with analysis and safety. We have to try new things and execute on them and accept that some of them are going to be failures, but, you know, hopefully some of them are going to be really, really big successes. Yeah, right. Now, you look like you sleep for at least 23 hours a day. <laughs> And you don't look at day over 23. Thanks. Oh, I'm going to come back here all the, all time. the time. Yeah, All the time. Um, your desk is over there. <laughs> I will never tell you what to fucking do. You can tell me what to do all day long. Uh, but I'm curious to know your number one performance or energy hack. What is the one thing you do that you know that is it supports your energy and high high level of intensity and focus? Yeah. Surround yourself with great people because um, then, you know, they make you want to come to work every day and they make you want to do a better job. I like to read a lot of like – that keeps me really inspired, reading biographies, listening to awesome podcasts. You know, that that's the sort of stuff that you go, fuck, if that person who's like 10 times busier than me, who has mm. way more responsibility, 2.5 kids, elaborate, you know, all of those things can can do this, then get your ass out of bed, Taryn, and you can you can do this. So how have you balanced the personal life with the business life? I wish I had an answer for you for that. I don't. I don't have a balance. It's a myth, isn't it? <laughs> it's a total myth. And I don't like the idea that they should be separate either. You know, yeah. I, I love what I do and, you know, I'm so you married much. married the job, a, right? I totally married the job. Yeah. I, I love what I do and it's so much a part of who I children. am. And <laughs> I do. I have a – and 650, you know, surrogates. <laughs> yeah. So, um, no, I do love what I do and I don't want to separate the two and say, yeah. you know, my work day finishes here and then I won't think about work. I would like the two to be able to overlap in a really healthy way but – but you don't know if they've got that balanced yet. If, if, if anyone's got any you secrets, literally took the words please out of my mouth email me, work- call me. That's right. <laughs> send, send it my way. The mythical Your health. Book. How much of a role has looking after your health played? So important. So important. I don't think that you can be good to anyone else until you're like good to yourself. So What does that look like? For me, non-negotiable, like training, carving out time. I do like lo- love a long walk on the weekend. So carve out time to do that, get outdoors, what get some fresh What type of training do you do apart from long walks? Oh, just gym stuff. Yeah. I used to do really, really high intensity training and I was okay. just burning the candle at both ends and it was not sustainable for me. So I've tried to sort of wind that back a little bit um, over the last sort of six months. And so now I just sort of... You know, I still day. still still go to the gym, but it's like a lot less intense than it was. Okay. I was training in like an, a high uh, in an altitude room, really high intensity. Oh no! Shit. Six mornings a week, you know, at five a.m. It was pretty intense, but and I oh loved it. I God. loved it, but it was just very intense, and altitude I don't think room. you can do that, you know, sustainably. So, what do you want to fucking climb Everest or something? <laughs> yeah, there was, and people were like, "What were you training for?" And I was like. Life. Oh, exactly. <laughs> no, like nothing. So, um, no, training, but health, wellness, like the whole picture. So, making sure you stay hydrated. My team are like, you know, I'm constantly like filling up everyone's water bottles, making sure. Yeah, right. 
And then I see a naturopath. Um, I make sure I keep on top of all. Are of you those into intermittent things. fasting yet? I do. Yeah, actually, it's really yeah. It's a it's been a game changer for Isn't me. Isn't it? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. What schedule do you follow? Um, I don't eat until sort of twelve or one o'clock, and Beautiful. then I stop eating at nine. Yeah, I can't do the the whole like two five and two thing. Like I couldn't go a whole day without anything. Yeah. But yeah, just the skipping breakfast thing has been it's game game changer for me. Yeah, and I keep joking that we could launch an anti aging clinic where the product is free and would kill everyone in the market. <laughs> it's so true, isn't yeah. it? I'm just so much clearer, more focused. Yeah, and, beautiful. Yeah, fantastic. Yeah. Listen, I have to say, Taryn, this has been so much fun. Not just educating, edutaining, edutaining, very edutaining, <laughs> education. Edu- you know exactly what I'm trying to say. Oh, for people who want to find out more about you, yes. have you written a book or anything yet? I haven't. No, I got added oh, to the list. How Gosh, are you? I know. I'm so behind the times. Join, join the line. Yeah. <laughs> so where can I find out more about you? Um, connect with me on LinkedIn. It's Taryn Williams. Um, you can follow me on Instagram. Both of my businesses are on the gram as well. Um, and you can connect with us on LinkedIn there as well or on Facebook, obviously, as well. I'm so glad you said Facebook. It's not just for old people. No, it's so good. <laughs> There was vocal tension there. Ladies and gentlemen, <laughs> that was Taryn Williams. Thank you for having me. There you have it, guys. Thanks for tuning in to Unstoppable with me, your host, Kerwin Ray. And do me a favor, don't forget to drop me a review on iTunes. Would love to hear what you think. I love reading what you guys have to say. And your reviews make sure we keep creating killer content just like this. If you want to stay up to date with me and all my movements, please jump onto the website, kerwinray.com. And also check us out on social media, at Kerwin Ray. <laughs>